I want to welcome you all back this evening for part two of our Worldview Night, in which we are addressing cancel culture, discernment, and truth. If you all picked up a copy of the sermon outline sheet in one of the different silver racks at one of the doors coming in, you'll notice that on the front of it, it has, now it says, important insights for each night of worldview. And we have included the pieces that I have been going over as we kind of get started on each of our worldview nights. This one has just some of the key information, and it allows us to be able to make some quick references without me having to go back and teach over each of those parts as we're back on each of these nights. But for just a moment, let's scan over the information that is on the front of that sheet, and you'll notice that it provides a couple of the key quotes and some definitions, uh, the two reasons that Christians believe or act in opposition to Scripture, something that I've gone over on each of these nights, also the eight primary categories that come together in order to create worldview, five different goals for our worldview nights, as well as the basic steps for developing a biblical worldview. All of those pieces are listed on the outline sheet right now, and those will also be there on future outline sheets as well. Uh, those are pieces that I would encourage you, take some time, even when we're not in these worldview nights, go over the information again, review that information from time to time, specifically the part on how do you develop a biblical worldview. And the reason is because repetition is great for retention. The more you go over, the more it sinks into your mind. So this evening, we're going to have two main parts. We're going to go back, and I'm going to share about another 20 minutes or so about what cancel culture is. I'm going to give a review of some different pieces if you were not here this last week, and just parts that people need to be aware of if we are to understand it from a biblical perspective and specifically understand it through the lens of the gospel. And then I'm going to finish things with about another 20 minutes tonight as we go through and find what is a biblical response. There are certain pieces that are very clear within Scripture that you can see the correlation between what's happening in cancel culture and also understand this is a biblical response to it. But there's also a piece about the gospel. Something that I encourage people to constantly do is to ask the question, how does the gospel transform our view of this particular issue? What should our response be as gospel people? And we're going to get into that tonight as well. So before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer, and we will set up the first part. Heavenly Father, we ask again this evening that you would allow our hearts and our minds and our focus to be upon you. We're praying that all of the different pieces would come together and give an understanding not only of what's happening in the world around us, but also your desire for how we are to respond in light of it. God, may we be people who are filled with your spirit and who are walking in direction with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have not been a part of last night or maybe some of the things that we've been doing on our Worldview Nights, uh, let me give about a 10, 12-minute review just to make sure everybody is kind of caught up to speed. If you want more information about what cancel culture is, the need for discernment and truth, uh, more than what I'm going to share tonight, I would encourage you to go back onto our YouTube channel, watch part one from this last week. So as I shared last week, the phrase cancel culture is relatively new. It kind of dates back when it began to become popular around 2016. But the ideas, the tactics, the pieces behind cancel culture are as old as the introduction of sin to humanity. So cancel culture, if you're looking for a basic definition, it is a social attitude that believes controversial speech and behavior must be punished through public shaming, silencing, boycotting, firing, bankrupting, and deplatforming. The result is that the offender's influence, their presence, their overall reputation has now been canceled out. Now, I know that some of those same words are often used in Christian circles. For example, uh, Christians have been known to boycott groups, boycott companies whenever we do not agree with those values or what a, a group is standing for. But this goes far beyond simply not purchasing something at a particular retail chain. This goes beyond condemning what would be considered to be hurtful speech or behavior. This is beyond speaking your heart and, and voting your values. What we're talking about with cancel culture is the idea that 
you can basically do all of those other pieces like I just mentioned and still do it in a very biblical way. Cancel culture goes beyond it. Cancel culture creates this mob mentality that demands that people are fired from jobs, disassociated from peers, silenced of their views, and banished from public view. In many instances, a person's personal information is leaked into the public, and as a result of that, people are encouraged to harass, to stalk, to create any type of disrupting influence in that person's life. So this activity is condoned by many as a form of accountability. As stated last week, cancel culture represents this shift in power dynamics that's happening within our society. Those many times who have been considered to not have power or control in the past are now asserting both in a collective sense in order to get justice and to punish wrongdoing. And I'm going to come back to that part in just a moment. We covered it last week. All of those pieces are being fueled by social media. Cancel culture is also the natural outworking of a post-Christian society that no longer affirms Judeo-Christian values. It represents the ideas that are a part of a non-Christian culture or a pre-Christian culture. As I shared last week, most non-Christian cultures almost always operate with some form of an honor-shame dynamic. And last week, we got into those different pieces. Sociologists show us that there are three main types of cultural dynamics that are at play within our world. You can go all the way around the world, look at civilizations, look at tribal groups, look at cultures of every kind. You're going to find these three primary ones that are a part of that. There is an innocence guilt culture, an honor shame culture, as well as there is a power fear culture. So the innocence guilt culture is primarily in the West. It's a type of culture that focuses heavily upon individual responsibility, where people who break the law are considered to be guilty, and those who have been wronged seek justice, or they offer forgiveness in order to rectify a situation. The honor-shame culture, it is primarily in the Middle East as well as throughout Asia. This is a type of culture that focuses heavily upon community conformity, where people are shamed for not fulfilling group expectations, and those who have been wronged seek to restore their honor by pressuring the offender back into conformity and compliance. Then there are the power and fear cultures that is primarily through Africa, South America, and smaller island communities. This type of culture focuses heavily upon fear and harm that is associated with evil spirits. It is an animistic view of the world. The people seek to restore a balance in power by using different types of incantations and magical rituals in order to direct and influence what's happening in the spirit realm. Now, those are the three primary cultural dynamics around the world. As I shared last week, historically, America has been an innocence guilt culture. That means in the past, there has been a heavy emphasis upon individual responsibility, personal rights, the intrinsic value of personhood, law and order, the necessity of truth, and a legal system of due process that seeks to punish offenders and bring about justice for the victims. As I shared last week, we have not, as a culture, always lived up to those values. There have been many dark moments in American history. The question is if the values themselves are good. So as America has now started to embrace a different type of view from the East, and let me give you three of those, Marxism, socialism, and communism. As each of those three have been more widely embraced by people within the U.S., they bring with them an honor-shame dynamic from the East. Increasingly, the innocence guilt culture that America was founded upon is being replaced with an honor-shame culture that comes primarily from the East. There is a clash of worldviews that is happening. That's a part of the reason things are as chaotic as they are. That's a part of the reason why when you pick up a newspaper, you read online, you're thinking, how in the world did we get here this fast? Like, this is not the world that I grew up in. This is not the America I grew up in. There's things that are changing rapidly around us. So as our country moves further and further towards a post-Christian society, the honor-shame dynamic is becoming stronger and stronger. Within that setting, the community defines everything. Social capital 
fixes everything. Aggression restores honor. Words define status. And acceptance conveys compliance. Unless something major changes, unless there is a major radical change within society, revival, awakening, unless something major takes place, we will see less and less acceptance of individual rights and more and more pressure towards group conformity. That is simply what comes with an honor-shame dynamic. Now, as you'll remember from last week, Scripture addresses the three main issues that the cancel culture has brought up. They say this is a way of bringing accountability. This is about seeking justice. This is about punishing wrongdoing. And as I shared this last week, the Word of God, Scripture affirms all three of those. It just goes about it in a different way. So Scripture teaches ultimate accountability before God, Christian accountability within community, as well as societal accountability to government and fellow citizens. Isaiah 1, Amos 5, Proverbs chapter 31, they all talk about seeking justice, correcting oppression, defending the rights of the poor and the needy. As I shared last week, there's hundreds of passages in Scripture that talk about punishing wrongdoing and evil and the issues that happen within society. The reason I bring that up is Scripture is not against accountability, punishing wrongdoing, and seeking justice. It just goes about it in a different way. So a piece that I brought out is several passages from Proverbs. I want you to write these down if you've not already done so. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 5. Proverbs 29, verse 7. And Proverbs 17, 23. So here's the first of those. Proverbs 28, 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. In other words, apart from seeking God, a person does not even understand what justice is all about. Proverbs 29.7 says, A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. There's a part of knowing God, of seeking God, that gives people understanding of what are the rights of the poor. That's why cultures change and countries shift when there is either godly or ungodly leadership in place. According to Scripture, it comes with a person seeking God and knowing Him. Then, Proverbs 17, 23 says, The wicked take secret bribes to pervert the course of justice. Instead of bringing justice and removing oppression, wicked people actually add to injustice and they actually increase oppression. The closer we walk with Jesus, the more in alignment with the word we are, the more we understand what is justice, the more we understand the rights of the poor, and the more our heart is moved by what is on the heart of God. And that's where the church has to be in this area. As I shared last week, the church has done a poor job in the last 40 to 50 years about addressing those pieces of Scripture. Those are parts that sometimes get glossed over. It's like, unless it's happening to me, it's really not that important. But if it's happening in the world, if it's affecting others around you, if it's impacting the Imago Dei, those created in the image of God, it has to be something that moves the heart of God's people. It is about us seeking what is on God's heart. So those are the pieces we covered this last week. Now, we're going to start some new information. But before we do, I'm going to try to bring together a lot of those pieces because those pieces now help us understand what our next step needs to be. If you put together the pieces of cancel culture that have been identified last week as well as this week, here's what they, they stand for. Cancel culture encourages public shaming, silencing, boycotting, firing, bankrupting, and deplatforming. It incites a mob mentality against its offenders. It condemns, it judges, it banishes offenders without due process. It encourages people to stalk, harass, and create a disrupting influence in an offender's life. The tactics are reactionary, they are impulsive, they are spiteful, and according to scripture, it's foolish. You also see it as a natural outworking of a post-Christian or non-Christian society. It does not affirm Judeo-Christian values. It is the inevitable result of political correctness and postmodernism. It rejects individual rights for group conformity. 
It operates with an honor-shame dynamic. And within that type of setting, community defines everything, capital fixes everything, aggression restores honor, words define status, and acceptance conveys compliance. Those are the big pieces. That mentality is exponentially growing in our culture right now. It is like a powder keg that is waiting to explode on the next piece of sensational, controversial news that hits the cycle. Apart from what we've already mentioned as far as a practical and a biblical level, I'm gonna share a number of other concerns that come into this. And this is why Christians have to know what's going on. It needs to be that we can take the word of God in one hand and a newspaper in the other hand, and we can understand what God would have us to do in light of what's happening within culture around us. So here's some other pieces that factor into what's currently taking place. The increased number of deep fakes will make things even worse. I'm gonna turn this around. In fact, I actually wrote upside down today. I didn't even know I was writing upside down until afterwards, but uh, anyway, it's, it's right side up if you just turn the entire board. So anyway, and again, by the time this is done, um, we're gonna just roll this board right up to the front. We're gonna encourage people to come up and take pictures. The increased number of deep fakes is right now sending cancel culture into overdrive. If you are not familiar with the term deep, fake, deep fakes. They are synthetically created media that uses artificial intelligence to create image, audio, and video hoaxes, okay? It's being used in order to create political upheaval. It's used in order to change the narrative of what is happening right now within society. There used to be a time when you could use the phrase, I'll believe it when I see it. Deep fakes are now causing us to no longer be able to use that phrase. So I want you to imagine for just a moment what happens when you're watching a video with political leaders of either party and you are watching them say things, words coming out of their mouth that is inciting people to violence or inciting people to act outside of the law or inciting people to be at odds with and divisive towards others. And you're watching that video, and at the same time, it's online. It shows up on news outlets, and all of a sudden, the person goes through, and they're like, I cannot believe this person said this. If you look up the term deep fakes, you will see that there are tens of thousands of these videos that are being created right now that are causing division within our society. When you've already got a society at this point that is on edge, that is ready to cancel, that is ready to pounce, that is reactionary, that is unwilling to follow due process, that doesn't wanna take the time to look behind the scenes and find out, is it real, is it not real? When that is what's already happening in society, deep fakes are going to send this into overdrive. Just know we're coming into another political season here soon. Those are pieces you're going to see continue to pop up and it's gonna happen across the spectrum. Here's another piece. The quickly evolving AI is gonna throw the machinations of cancel culture into overdrive. The quickly evolving pieces of AI. Uh, artificial intelligence begins by learning what it's programmed to learn. That is, those who create it set the parameters with their views and their agenda in mind. As a result, the product begins to bear resemblance of its creators. Just recently, Elon Musk revealed how Google co-founder Larry Page and other Silicon Valley leaders want AI, quote, to establish a digital God that understands everything in the world and will give it back to you in, quote, the right way instantly, end of quote. Did you just get what was said? Creating a digital God. Creating a digital God that has been formed by the mind of sinful people that is going to be a source to give you back all the information of everything happening in the world except it's gonna give it back to you in the right way. What does that tell you? It tells you that there's some pieces they say 
are out there that are the wrong way, and they're going to correct those for you. So if you actually go and you start doing research on this, you'll see there are already groups that are scrambling right now to, pro to protect online information from revisions that AI is currently changing or, as it's saying, correcting and making right behind the scenes right now. In other words, when we in the past thought that there was a problem maybe with historical revisionism and people were rewriting history, you're about to see that go to a whole new level. It's going to be happening behind the scenes. Uh, hey, hey, keep your printed books. You already know everything you read online is not true. But whenever somebody can come through and with a touch of a button, it is changing information behind the scenes. And now people are being encouraged. You need to go online. That's where you research. That's where the right information is at. All of these pieces are getting changed behind the scenes, which again, when you have people who have been trained in reactionary tendencies... And all of a sudden, they go online, and they're like, you can look it up yourself. Here's what it's saying. Those are issues that are going to send cancel culture to another level. Here's another one. Media is designed to grab attention, stir emotions, and bring you back again and again. It doesn't matter if you're watching conservative news or if you're watching liberal news networks. At the end of the day, right now, the bulk of what we find by news networks is a form of entertainment that is pushing an agenda and is focused on ratings. People will watch what is going to be, uh, I, I guess, stirring them. They have recognized the fact that their certain base, depending upon the network, is going to stir people in different ways, and they feed the base different pieces of information. Now, it's going to happen across the board. But what I want you to know is the fact that when we're watching news, when we're watching the things, the headlines, it is created to stir these feelings, to stir these emotions, to, to cause people angst and anxiety. I, I was just sharing before the, the evening service. There is a reason why anxiety and worry are at all-time highs within our society. And a part of that is being fed by constant moment-by-moment -moment news cycles. There was a time in which, even 100 years ago, that you would know what was going on based upon your little relational network, like whoever your farm happened to be connected to. You found out about what was going on in your neighbor's life, and you found out what was happening at the church potluck right there. And many times, there was a local newspaper, and sometimes they were reporting news that happened a month ago. There was just a limited amount of information that somebody was hearing. You just did not hear everything instantly. Now, instantly, you're hearing about news. You're hearing about events happening around the world, things that you cannot change, things that are going on in a split second, and there is this growing anxiety that is happening in people because they don't know how to process it. They don't know what to do. And oftentimes, the information that's coming out is not vetted. So even though they're hearing it, it's not even true sometimes. Those pieces are feeding into the anxiety that our culture is experiencing. That's going to be getting worse and worse. Here's the next one. Cancel culture thinking has shut down meaningful dialogue, rational behavior, and the ability to disagree with parts without canceling the whole. I don't know if you all remember it or not. But there was a time when you could talk to somebody who had a different opinion without yelling at them. I mean, what a novel idea. There, there was a time whenever a conversation could take place without name-calling, screaming, threats, and virtue signaling. But now, rational and what I would call biblical behavior is considered to be not caring or even supporting the wrong thing. And, and here's what I mean by that. When the world is losing their mind on the newest piece that hits the news cycle, and everybody is making accusations, and they're angry, and they're upset, and there's a believer who sits there, and they're calm, and they're still praying and processing, and they're still seeking truth, and they're still wanting to understand before reacting. That person right now is being considered to be not caring, and their not speaking out is said to be condoning activity. 
Listen, that's a biblical response. Our response is not to be reactionary. Our response is to process and to pray, be be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's biblical. But right now, that has been thrown out the door. Anything less than scorched earth policy is considered to be not caring. There was a time when you could say, I disagree with this person on X, Y, and Z, but I agree with them on A, B, and C. And that was still considered to be okay. You had the right to distinguish between beliefs without feeling as though you had to accept everything or for that matter, defend everything. You had the right to think for yourself and to state your objections. But now cancel culture is an all or nothing proposition. And that is, there's a mindset in this that's saying, if you accept any from that person, you're accepting all of that person, all of that group. And that same mindset has infiltrated the church. I cannot tell you how many times people have asked me for a book recommendation, and I read all sorts of books. And I will say, here's a book recommendation, but let me tell you from the very beginning, I agree with about 95% of what this person says, But on these one or two issues, I don't believe that lines up with Scripture. So you just need to know that before you read it. Now, I thought that was a reasonable response. Apparently, that is not okay anymore. By even suggesting that somebody read those different pieces right there, it's now like somehow you endorse everything about it. You you are never going to endorse everything about everybody other than Jesus. In fact, I don't endorse everything I said 10 years ago. I mean, there's parts that I go back and people are like, Paul, do you ever want to keep your old messages? No, I don't. I'm like, I can't believe. And it's not that what I was teaching was wrong, but there's was, there was areas of nuance that there wasn't the care, there wasn't some concern. There was pieces I just wish I could do differently. Over time, Lord willing, we grow in maturity and we grow in Christ-likeness. But it's okay to be able to say, I agree with this, I disagree with that. Now, instead of that happening. Cancer culture has created this system where it doesn't matter what a person did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, a paper they wrote, a joke they made, a person they hung out with. If there's ever been anything wrong in their past and you support them, somehow it said you're supporting that idea. Here's my question. Can you tell me how any of that aligns with the gospel of Jesus Christ that forgives sin and sets people free and says the only righteousness that we have is what is found in Christ. If you were to take that same standard and just apply it to biblical characters, all of them would be canceled out. Noah got drunk, David committed adultery, Moses killed a man, Abraham lied to protect himself, Peter cursed, Paul had a past, Rahab was a harlot, Solomon was a polygamist. Scripture does not hide their sins. It does not sugarcoat the things that they did wrong. But listen, it also does not cancel the contribution that was made. You can say, I agree with this, but that's wrong. That's now what is being left out of this conversation. Now, more than ever, we need mature believers who know the word of God, who are spirit-filled, who are clear-headed, and who are able to walk people through difficult situations in a calm way. We need to be the ones saying there's a different way you respond to differences. And if the church does not lead the way on that, where do we expect that leadership to come from? I know based on everything I've shared last week and this week, it might sound as though the sky is falling. And um, if it helps, I don't think the sky is falling. I think it all depends on what you're focused on. So I'm going to provide some well-needed perspective that might sound like the sky fell a little bit further, but just give me a chance right there. I I promise, Lord willing, it'll look better in a moment. So as I already stated, cancel culture, even though the term is relatively new, the The tactics behind it are as as old as sin. And the reason that is important is because the word of God is not taken off guard by cancel culture. The gospel is not somehow deficient in this. It's not that God's people have all of a sudden been taken by surprise. God's people have been getting harassed, imprisoned, intimidated, abused, canceled, and killed for thousands of years. 
Uh, Queen Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, which led Obadiah to have to hide a hundred prophets in caves, 1 Kings chapter 18. Jeremiah was threatened and beaten and put in stocks and placed in a cistern in Jeremiah chapter 20. Uh, King Herod tried to kill all of the young boys, two years old and younger, in order to try to eliminate Jesus. The religious leaders were constantly trying to cancel out Jesus' influence, Luke chapter 4. Uh, the apostles were arrested multiple times in the book of Acts. They were threatened, imprisoned, beaten by Jewish rulers in Acts chapter 4 and 5. King Herod killed James and arrested Peter in chapter 12. Stephen was stoned for preaching the truth in chapter 7. And then it says in chapter 8, verse 1, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Both Jews and Gentiles tried to cancel Paul and his preaching. It is a major and reoccurring theme in the book of Acts as well as in his epistles. The church in Corinth is the group that he wrote to and he said that he was in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently. Like the story of Paul's life is that of abuse and harassment and imprisonment and beatings and stonings because of standing for truth. God's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament were familiar with these techniques. Christians around the world have been familiar with these techniques. Persecution around the world has not stopped in the last 2,000 years. Instead, Christianity in America has been this wonderful protective bubble that has existed because of the freedoms and religious liberties that we had in this nation. The rest of the world has not experienced that at the same level. So let me just give you some stats. According to Open Doors Research, the 10 most dangerous countries in the world for Christians to live in right now, North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, uh, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and India. If you expand it out to the top 50 most hostile countries in the world, 19 of those are in Africa, 14 are in Asia, 10 are in the Middle East, 5 are in Central Asia, 2 are in Latin America. 34 of those nations have Islam as the primary religion. Four have Buddhism as the primary religion. Two have Hinduism as the primary religion. One has atheism, one has agnosticism, and listen, 10 have Christianity as the primary religion. Did you all know, according to 2021 research, the abduction of Christians around the world rose 63% in one year. The number of churches closed by government intervention went from 1,847 to 9,488 churches in one year alone, 5,576 of those represented in China. There has been a 30% increase in violence against Christians in the sub-Saharan Africa. Latest Pew Research Center found that Christians are harassed or persecuted in 145 of the 195 nations around the world more than any other religious group. Now, I told you the sky's not falling and you might doubt that based upon what I just shared. But here's the reason I bring it up. This has been the story of Christianity. This has been the story of what the vast majority of brothers and sisters in Christ have been facing for thousands and thousands of years. And it's in those environments that all of a sudden the gospel spreads like wildfire. It's in those environments that some of the greatest prayer warriors have come to the surface. It's in those environments that some of the greatest missionary statesmen have stepped onto the scene and church planting movements have happened and the kingdom of God has expanded. That we find that it's in the environments of hostility that it causes believers to get rid of weekend warrior Christianity and they have to actually live what they believe. And listen, when you live what Jesus shares and you live it out in a setting where it's either you do it or you die, it's amazing the things that you get in on. I've shared with people before, one of the most incredible experiences of my life was teaching about 750 pastors 
in Egypt, they were a part of the underground church throughout the Middle East. And they would get together early in the morning. We're talking like 7 a.m. And they would start singing and praying. And the rest of us who were a part of this team, like seven or eight people from America that were doing the training, we would come in, we would teach them about 9 to maybe 7 p.m. And we would leave and they would keep worshiping until 11.30, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. And here's the reason they did that. Because for many of them, it was the only time they got a chance to be in a large group setting and worship freely in a year. The rest of the time, they're, they're in homes with four or five other believers living in fear for their life. And I can remember thinking to myself, what kind of sacrifice does that look like? And they would talk to, to us, and they would say, we feel sorry for you. And I said, what do you mean? And they're like, there's nothing that forces you to depend on God. I was not expecting that response. I'm over here thinking, I feel sorry for them, and they're looking at us saying, you all don't get a chance to see some of what God does because you're not forced into it by the culture you live in. I bring that up because if you think that cancel culture is going to cancel the gospel, you're incorrect. The gospel is the gospel, and it's the power of God under salvation, and it is going to change and transform those that it impacts. So here's what we do. We keep teaching. We keep voting. We keep working towards change. We continue to do what is right because God has called us to do what is right. I don't want people to walk away from here thinking that I am unsympathetic to what's going on. I am. I don't like to see anybody harassed because of their beliefs. But what I do want to clearly let people know is we are not the only people facing cancel culture. And there are others who have it worse than we do right now. We simply need perspective on this. And by the way, did you know that there are some passages from Scripture that unless the setting forces you, you do not get a chance to live those verses. Some of the hardest teachings of Jesus are for exactly this setting. Let me give you some of those. Matthew chapter 5, 44 and 45. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. None of those words sound easy. None of them sound fun. All of them are important. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 32 through 33, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good for those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you love people who love you, you're doing what a pagan world does. There's nothing supernatural about that. There's nothing amazing about that. There's nothing heavenly about that. But if you love those who are persecuting you, that is different. That is a standard that God's called in his people to. Jesus lived that standard on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, when his response was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We have to remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. There are people who act in certain ways because they don't know. They don't know Jesus they don't know the truth. They don't have the hope that we have in Christ. And instead of it being something that we lash out in hatred against, it needs to be something that our, breaks our heart in the same way that it broke Jesus's. You'll find that Christians are called to a different approach. Instead of Jesus approaching that canceling mindset with returning fire with fire, instead he returned hatred with love. That's what the gospel teaches us to do. So here's the last piece on this about a gospel response. What is a biblical response? What's a gospel response to this? Cancel culture has multiple pieces 
they can only be addressed the right way through a gospel response. I'm just going to go through them quickly. Cancel culture is impulsive and foolish. Christians are called to be judicious and wise. If you read the book of Proverbs, it informs us about the path of wisdom and the path of foolishness. It tells us to avoid certain things, to not act impulsively. Let me give you several references here. Proverbs 4.26, Proverbs 29, verse 20, Proverbs 18.13, and Proverbs 18.17. The last two I want to read to you. Proverbs 18.13, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Proverbs 18.17, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. You all have seen that in regular life. You've had somebody come up and they share part of a story and all of a sudden you're, you're taking their side. You're like, I cannot believe this person did this. And, and you're getting mad for them. And then the other person comes and they share the other side and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I didn't know that part. I didn't see that. I didn't understand that piece. It requires us to listen on both sides. And by the way, um, let me just pause here for a moment. This is not a commercial for Chick-fil-A, but I'm going to give you a commercial break for Chick-fil-A. In the last week, week and a half, you'll notice that Chick-fil-A has been brought into a lot of the argument. Uh, It's been uh, chastised by Christian groups, conservative groups as, as quote, going woke, and we're going to come back and have a whole other conversation about that. I want to encourage you, before you start posting, check out exactly what's happening. There's pieces behind the scenes, and there'll be people right here in the church be more than happy to talk to you about what's happening behind the scenes. There are pieces behind the scenes that have taken place that are not making their way out into headlines. But here's the problem. When we go scorched earth on other organizations and then you find out the other side of the story, sometimes you burn some relationships you shouldn't have burned. Take the time to ask the questions. That's the end of my commercial break. Going on from there. Next piece, cancel culture is hateful and spiteful. Christians are called to be loving and gracious. The malicious contempt that comes from the cancel culture crowd is often incredibly ugly. Uh, When a person has been targeted for cancellation, it is the equivalent of declaring that person worthy of hate and giving others permission to slander and vilify that person. Jesus is the one who taught us, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Scripture does not align with that type of spite and hatred. Next one. Cancel culture is self-righteous and hypocritical. Christians are called to be righteous and genuine. The cancel culture crowd fights for the moral high ground without having a standard of morality that they're fighting from. The arguments are often with virtue signaling without actions to follow it up. But Christians, listen, we're guilty of the same things. We're guilty of acting in self-righteousness. We're guilty of acting hypocritically. So we cannot go out and say, I can't believe they did that. All we got to do is like look back, just rewind a couple of months. Chances are we find a lot of the exact same things. But Jesus called out those actions, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He warned against hypocritical, self-righteous judging. Hypocrisy as well as a judgmental spirit have no place within the Christian life. And number four, cancel culture is unforgiving and unloving. Christians are called to be forgiving and loving. Okay, it's a a gospel response to this. Cancel culture does not release anybody of a past wrong. Once a person has been canceled, there is no path of redemption. There's no opportunity to ever learn from your mistakes. The Bible teaches repentance and commands us, forgive one another. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. When you see a biblical response, it's different than how the world is responding. So here's just a couple of other pieces, and we'll close out. 
How do you respond to increasing pieces of cancel culture? Be courageous and faithful. God's people throughout time have faced opposition. Be courageous and faithful. Moses stood before Pharaoh, courageous and faithful. Joshua and Caleb remained courageous and faithful. Daniel challenged to stop praying, stop worshiping, or either he's going to be thrown in a lion's den. He remained courageous as well as faithful. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, same thing, remain courageous and faithful. We don't run, we don't hide, we don't abandon our values, we don't walk away from our God. We are called to remain courageous and faithful. The next one is be loving. If you get nothing else out of tonight, here's a good phrase. The world needs Jesus more than we need to feel loved. Be loving. Hateful things will be said about you and done to you, both online as well as in real life. Be loving. If you stand for biblical values, the Bible says you will be persecuted. Be loving. God's word has never been popular with the majority of humanity. Why should we think that has somehow changed now? But we're called to be loving. Next, avoid foolish arguments. There are some people who just want to argue because they want to argue. They are not interested in hearing another side. They're not interested in understanding more. They simply want to argue and ridicule because it makes them feel more justified in their position. 2 Timothy 2.23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Titus 3.9 is another good one for that. And by the way, there's a difference between being ready to give an account of the hope that is within you and being baited into every argument that's out there. You don't have to get involved in every argument. There's a lot of times I'll just simply ask somebody, but when they start, I'll just say, what are you wanting to get out of this? Would you like me to share another side? Are you trying to understand more? Or do you simply want to share your opinion in a more forceful way with me? And sometimes they'll be honest. Sometimes they're not as honest. You just don't have to get into every argument that is out there. Next, be on mission. We must never stop teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter how hard it gets. Doesn't matter how much we're hated. We must never stop living on mission with God. There's a couple of passages I would encourage you to check out. Acts chapter four, Acts chapter five. Both of those chapters are fantastic in this. After the apostles were arrested and threatened not to speak or to preach in Jesus's name, right afterwards, they went out and did the exact opposite of what they were taught or told to do. And their response was, we ought to obey God rather than men. Right afterwards, they get beaten and what their response was is they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They stayed on mission. We have to stay on mission. Now, we might have to increase our budget for getting pastors out of jail. I'd appreciate that personally right there. But we can't stop preaching the gospel. Be prayerful is the next one. Prayer changes things. Pray that God moves in this nation. Pray that God raises up godly leaders. Pray that God transforms colleges and universities. Pray that God allows us to disciple another generation. Pray that we're engaged in the mission of God. You can see it through scripture and you can see it through history that many times God holds back some of the decay that is coming because of the prayers of a righteous few. Keep praying and also be engaged civically. Yes, there are problems in this world, but those problems only increase when good men and good women do nothing. When they act as though there's not a problem, when they think it's somebody else's issue to address, be engaged locally, be engaged nationally. I am not gonna tell people how to vote, but I will encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, vote in accordance with what scripture teaches us. 
We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And ultimately, we give an account before God. If we fold up our tent and stick our head in the sand, the problems do not go away. We are called to be engaged. The further cancel culture goes, the more segmented our society will become and the more the basic breakdown of civility will happen. I encourage believers, speak up for the protection of your civil liberties as Americans. I'm not going to back down from that for a moment. We have been blessed to be born into a country, to live in a country that has some incredible civil liberties there. But please hear me. When they get trampled upon, and it's, it's not an if, it's a when. It's happening right now. When they get trampled upon, the gospel is not dependent upon the ease in which it is shared. Here's a passage to remember. When Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel, Philippians chapter 1, he did not pray that the chains were removed. He prayed for greater effectiveness in his chains. His freedoms might have been canceled, but the gospel was not canceled. There are settings that God allows us to be in that we would not have chosen on our own, that we want to fight as much as we can, vote as much as we can, engage as much as we can. But if we find ourselves in places where those same liberties have been removed, the gospel is not hindered in those moments. We are called to be disciples and to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, we're going to have a word of prayer. And Lord willing, that's given people enough to process and to think through and to pray about. So we're going to have a word of prayer and then got a couple of pieces as we close out. Heavenly Father, we ask tonight that you would bring an encouragement, God, to the hearts of your people. Not encouragement that everything is going great. We, we can open our eyes and see that's not the case. But Lord, encouragement in the fact that you are still going to accomplish exactly what you desire. And God, I pray that you would allow it to be a wake up for those in the room, those who are watching online, that we don't have a lot of time to be able to, to just relax and to not worry about what's happening in the world around us. We need to be engaged. We need to be on mission. We need to be about the gospel. Lord, may we have that mindset and that heart. And God, I'll thank you for what you do there in Jesus' name. Amen.